You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. All right, downers, thank you for tuning in, subscribing, streaming, downloading, whatever it is that you do. I'm glad you're here. The numbers have been going up every week, especially recently. So I'm very, very happy and uh, motivated with this show. So thanks for being part of it. Uh, Let me get out of the way here quickly. Our guest coming up here in a second is Mark Hemian. And Mark has worked for Google, uh, YouTube. Uh, He's a designer. He worked on their self-driving car project over there, which is incredible. So that's that's I'm very excited to talk about that. And hear about it. And uh, he's a designer. So he's all into all things design. He's done a bunch of startup stuff. He currently uh, has his own startup called Design Inc. that pairs designers with clients in a really neat way. So definitely something to check out. Anyway, let me get out of your way. Go to my website, breakitdownpod.com, and bookmark the Amazon link. Uh, Do your shopping through Amazon. That helps me out a lot. Also, share this. Leave a rating. Tell a friend. We're going to keep on going. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make yeah. Mark Hemian, thank you for joining me on the show tonight. My pleasure. Very excited to be here. I'm gl- so super glad to have you. We have a mutual friend named Joel, and I'm really glad he recommended. There's a ton of stuff that you uh, know that I'm interested in, so I'm excited to talk about it, but I'm more pumped that right out of the gate, there's a chemistry that happens when you get on with, when you know, when you meet somebody or get to talking to somebody, you can almost tell in the first few seconds that it's going to go well. And and sometimes people are really reserved or weird over Skype. But as soon as I got on and connected with you on Skype, you were laughing, you're confident, you're calm, and I'm, I know we're going to have a good time. So like that, interviews and podcasts don't always start that way. But thank you, I love your attitude already. We're, we're gonna we're gonna look Jacuzzi Joel hooked us up, and Jacuzzi Joel, we're gonna make you proud if you're listening. So you just <laughs> don't worry. Hang on to your seats. I don't know that Matt even knows what's going to happen here. So you said you just got done with a board meeting and that put you in a good mood. Is that the deal or what's going on here? Yeah, it put me in a great mood. Well, the board meeting sounds like a stiff, boring thing. Is it because they're so boring and (laughs) stiff now you're ready to loosen up or is it actually a fun thing for you to have board meetings? Board meetings are tremendously stressful. It's when you go in and you have your accountability for your company and what you did right and what you did wrong. Did you say you, did you do what you said you were going to do? Which really is kind of the principle for good humans in general, right? Right. People ask me like, if I want to build a company or I want to be a designer, I want to you know do a thing. I'm like, look, bottom line, just honestly do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. If you're going to call me on Tuesday, call me on Tuesday. If you're going to you know, send that note, send that note. That's the biggest thing with life, I think, and a lot of folks. So our board meeting went well because we did what we said we were going to do in September. You did what you said you were going to do. Yeah, yeah. and and it, feel, it feels good to say that. Yeah, well, that, I think there's two major things about that that are important. Number one is doing what you say you want to do, but you know what precedes that is having something you want to do. <laughs> 
And no I, I'm, I'm telling you, that's the, the biggest thing. Like I deal with a lot. Of, I, all I do all day, every day is deal with people and creatives and music and podcasting and uh, writing and stuff like that. And it's it's so night and day to me that, that when I meet people that have an idea, they have something they want to do, they have some have a goal in mind, and it's not to make money or this or that, or whatever. So to me, I divide people by if you had unlimited time and resources or ability to do stuff, what would it be? Would it be anything? Do you have, is there something you want to do? And then after that, it's all just momentum and getting better at the thing you want to do. But, and then out on top of that, yeah, then you have to be a reliable person, have character and, you know, follow through and mean what you say and do what you say. I love, I love when Dave Grohl talks about when he learned to play the drums, he didn't go to a teacher. He didn't spend five hours like looking crap up online. I mean, granted Mm -hmm. it was in the nineties, but he just, figured it out. He got some drums, banged, banged away, listened to some stuff, tried to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And he'll admit his early technique was terrible. And he just like, he's like, I don't care. I loved, I just wanted to play the drums. That's all I cared about. And he just figured it out and he put the time in to figure it out. Right. And I think that what, what, whether it's music, music and, and design and music and startups have so many similarities. Mm-hmm. Like I'm so stoked to talk about this. Like I meet people all the time. Like, Oh, I want to build a company. I want to do a thing. I'm like, okay, do you know how to design? Do you know how to code? No. I'm like, dude, that's like trying to build a band and you want to hit record, mm-hmm. but you don't want to learn how to sing or read music or play the guitar or drums. Like, screw mm-hmm. you. You don't get to play startup. There's people in music that are like that though. Like I, I've sure. encountered in the last generation or so after me, a lot of people who wanted to be in a band and cared a good bit less about the music itself. They just want, and I'm thinking, well, what is it? Being on stage or being known or just saying, yeah. like, what is the thing you're after? But, the, you know, the, in general, I think it's a weird, it's, I think there's probably a lot of similarities in music and startups and stuff like that. But there sure, uh, sure is a lot of differences too. There are a lot. Kind of thing. But, but, but what do you think mm-hmm. when you mentioned Dave Grohl like that? What do you think he, um, I mean, it's not that he thought he wanted to be in Nirvana or the Foo Fighters or be that big or famous. He wasn't trying to learn the drums probably for any other reason other than he was interested in the drums themselves, which is a big thing. Like He didn't have the goals in mind, and we always feel like people need to have, I want to be a CEO of this and have this by age, whatever. But I don't feel like people like Dave Grohl have that in mind. I feel like they're doing exactly what they're really stoked to do without having goals in mind sometimes, right? Did you watch uh, this, the, the documentary Sonic Highway, the Dave Grohl documentary? Yeah, yeah so, I've seen some of that. But, yeah. So to answer your question, when I look at a guy like Dave Grohl, like, he gives zero cuss words. Like He does not care. You can cuss, so you can say fuck <laughs> or whatever you want to say here. It's fine, if that's what you were thinking. Well, it's just so cool to see that he genuinely, he would go to these towns, and, when, and it was, there were some cuts in the documentary where he was writing his music. And it was cool. Mm-hmm. He literally just would sequester himself over, write some notes down. And you could tell, like, he just really enjoyed himself. And he didn't care whether this mm-hmm. documentary was going to make him money or not. I guarantee you he didn't, when he did Nirvana back in the day, those those guys didn't care about making any money. In fact, they were kind of pissed. And you read interviews yep. with, you know, Kurt Cobain later on, he just hated singing Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I feel like the great, musicians are just they're just kind of these folks it's just inside of them designers i i can tell off the bat if you're a designer that like it's just in you it's just natural to you to create because you have all these you have all these tells like you have like you're making crap at home with your hands you're painting you're you're doodling your notebook looks like chaos because you just your brain is just wired that way then you Mm -hmm. have a segment of people 
And this is happening in Silicon Valley, by the way. You have all these startup people who they used to be investment bankers or they got their MBA. And now they're coming out to Silicon Valley to do a startup because they think it's a way to get yeah. rich. I hate these, yes. these people drive me crazy because they have yes. no soul about them. They're not trying to solve a problem. Like we started designing because we love design. We think, we genuinely mm -hmm. believe, I genuinely, genuinely believe that design is the way, is the way forward to make the world better. And I know that sounds so stupid and so cliche, but like, you know, you were like, you have your, your microphone and the way it's positioned and the headphones and mm -hmm. stuff around you, the way that's designed, someone had to think about that. Someone had to think about the color, Absolutely. think about like why, like what kind of thing to put on the mic. Uh, when you're using your pro tools to do mixing, someone had to think about that interface to make it very easy for you to see it, mm -hmm. for you to kind of like interact and to do it in a way that makes sense to you as a musician, how to lay over tracks. Like someone came up with that UI, like, you know, visually in like having a timeline, someone invented a timeline, all this kind of stuff. The only reason is to make your life as a musician better, to help you become uh -huh. happier. And frankly, most things in life that make us unhappy because of bad design. Like, <laughs> bad design. Dude, have you ever used a can opener that like hurts your hand or a screwdriver that doesn't quite, mm -hmm. it's not long enough or like an airplane where the seat is too short and it hurts your knees? It's designer's yeah. fault, man. Oh, I, I know. My, my, I grew up in a house that my dad put together and he wasn't a carpenter, construction worker or anything. He <laughs> just got a house and renovated it his whole life. And every time he'd open the cabinet, it didn't open right. He's frustrated and cussing. And it's his fault. He did put the house together and didn't know what he was doing. Not that he didn't know what he was doing, but he just, that's not what in his trade. But I give him credit for working on our house so much and doing it, but he always hated the house, but he's the <laughs> one that designed it. He just didn't have enough experience. But I think design, it really does go down to like push and pull doors. And yep. if there's feedback, when you hit the unlock button, is it satisfying? That's the, I really do, uh, I don't know a ton about that stuff. And, but I think it, the weird thing about design for me that's interesting is uh, I'm doing some construction myself. I'm, uh, let's see if this makes sense. I am uh, not a visual person. I identify as, as low on the visual as you can be. I don't <laughs> think of things in pictures. I just don't. I'm not a visual person at all. So I always thought design is not for me, or I don't understand stuff, or I don't understand clothes. I wear a black t-shirt and this hat every day. I, I don't want to think about anything visual. But I've only realized in the last year that I do care about design, but it's how it, but it's based on function. Totally. And things that are designed functionally are amazing. And things that are designed that function poorly and give poor feedback and are not intuitive drive me crazy. But it has nothing to do with if they're pretty, which is what I always thought design was. I thought it was how beautiful or brush strokes or decorative trim on this or, or stuff that I d couldn't understand. But it really seems like it's about function. Yeah, Matt, you are not alone. This is the common understanding of what design is, that it is the surface, that it is what it looks like, and that's about it. Mm -hmm. And that that is no more, it's, it's, you can't judge a person this way by what they look like or what they feel like, or it is the substance of how things work and how they interact. So for example, mm -hmm. I get a lot of crap because I say Craigslist is well-designed. People are like, you're crazy. Yep. That's the ugliest website in the world. I'm like, I'm not talking about the look. I'm talking about the fact that I can put my, you know, janky old junk on there and someone's yeah. going to come and give me money for it. That, yeah. And my mom understands how it works easily. And my mom gets yeah. it. That is good yeah. design. 
Look, absolutely. A, a cardboard box is good design. You know where the top is, you know how it opens, and you close it. Now, you can improve it. You can cut some holes in the sides. You can actually carry it nicely. You can maybe mm-hmm. reinforce it so books don't fall out of the bottom. That is all the design. And so, therefore, Matt, everyone is a designer, right? Because yeah. we're. And, and cardboard boxes is a good example because you think about like pizza boxes or, or mm-hmm. all boxes, I guess they've got it down to such a science mm-hmm. that it's so economical that there's none. No parts are wasted, and mm-hmm. it punches out, and it folds on itself, and you can ship them flat. Totally. Like, all that stuff about cardboard is great. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I just love so much. But I have no idea what colors go together. I have no clue. I could never tell you in a million years. So that, if, you, yeah. if, I can, if I'm allowed to wear this belt with those jeans or not, I, don't, I do not know Well, the look, let's go back to your black T-shirt and your black hat. That's like mm-hmm. you're pulling out a, a really classic move. A, a lot of really bright folks will wear the same thing every day because they realize— yeah. There's, there's a finite amount of willpower we have for the day, right? We talked about mm-hmm. ketosis before the show started. We can get into that a little bit if we want to. The fact that you don't make, you don't burn any brain energy on what you're wearing every day mm-hmm. frees you up to be creative in your music, to be creative in your podcasting and, the, and all this great stuff that you're doing. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. I wear the same thing every day. I wear a Ruka t-shirt and jeans, and slip yep. in, you know, rainbow sandals, rainbow slippers. That's it. That's all I wear because I don't want to think about it. I, I, I have other things I want to think about and spend my time on. And so anyway, I think it's really cool that you wear the same thing every day. It shows me that you've just shifted your brain focus to other, other things, you know? That are- yeah. Well, I, I, I didn't know that you did keto diet, but something I've been doing for nine months, but there's the, you know what I like about that aside from the scientific or the technical or the weight loss, whatever those things are. I love eliminating food choice. I eat sardines so often for lunch. It's just so easy to do. It's just great. They're high in fat. They're funky. I I put mustard and sriracha on them. And if, if it's, if it's the middle of the day and I feel like I want to eat something, I don't have to think, I don't really worry about choosing Taco Bell or cooking. I don't, you know, I I love that about like, especially with keto, once the food cravings are under control, which you're new to it. And I don't know if you've done it before, but at some point you don't care as much about the food. Like you're not craving it. It's not such a big deal. It just kind of fades into the background. It's like, ah, food. And then I wind up thinking about it the same way as my clothes. Like, well, I got to put some on, so I'll, I'll eat something. And it's not that big of a deal. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's saving you from a choice paralysis between Taco Bell and like McDonald's or Del Taco or right. something. Like, That's right. Like it's so just you get another can of sardines. <laughs> it's fine. Boom. <laughs> Do you like anchovies? That's the way I am. Like sardines are so, to me, like, in some ways, it's the perfect food, but in another way, it's just like kind of, I couldn't imagine it, right? Like, like there's no other, there's no other food like it. The whole animal is in the can. Mm-hmm. There's no other yeah. animal like that that we eat. Just eat the whole. The, the head is missing from it, but the whole rest of the fish is there. Oh. And the, it's slimy. The, sca- the skin is on it. The tail yeah. is on it. It's high in fat, and it tastes like the ocean, and they're wild-caught. <laughs> Like they don't have any toxins and mercury and those things in them because they're they're at the bottom of the food chain. There's these tiny little fish. It's it's perfect. It's amazing. <laughs> do, you, do you like poke bowls? Do you like raw tuna? Oh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Like people say tuna, you got to avoid it mercury, more because yeah. of mercury. Whatever. I don't know if that's true or I don't care a ton. But yes, I love tuna, especially raw tuna. Yeah, pokey best. and stuff. I'm definitely gonna die. So, of mer- I think I am gonna die of mercury poisoning. But t- we can go back to what we were talking about before. Sorry, I'm going off topic a little bit. Well, I don't know exactly what it is, and I told you some of the stuff that I wanted to talk about, and I think we're going in probably reverse order, which is totally fine. But what I want to go back to next is that thing you said about 
uh, we're going to go back and forth with startups and design. And I want to talk about self-driving cars. Those are all things that I really am interested in. But when you talk about the people who come out from Wall Street or whatever it is that they are trying to get into startups to make money and they're posers, that resonates a ton <laughs> with me. I don't know if you, maybe that's my word, posers, not yours, but it, I, that makes a lot of sense to me because shouldn't you pursue the thing you want to pursue and then it turns into whatever it is. It, using the Dave Grohl analogy, if we're back on that train of thought, you want to play drums, then you get to be in a band and then your band happens to be successful kind of thing. But I think people think of startups as, oh, this way to get rich or make money. And the thing, and the, the musicians that I don't resonate or understand are the, the parallel must be people who, and this isn't startups, but the, the way people say entrepreneur seems to drive me crazy a lot when people identify as entrepreneur. I always think entrepreneur, that's fine, but that doesn't really mean anything. Like if you're not, what, what's your interest is, is what I always want to know. Entrepreneur is not a job. It's not a job at yeah, all. Yeah, I don't it's, think it's a job either. It's like saying uh, someone who's entrepreneurial—that is an attribute. That's like saying you are assertive. Yes. You are assertive. You are thoughtful. You are entrepreneurial. You, but what you do every day is you're painting, you're playing the guitar, you're playing the drums, you're doing something. You, what is the thing that you're doing? And there is a huge, huge romanticism about what it means to do a startup. And yes. uh, let me tell you, 99.9% .9 of our time, we are sitting by a computer and we're emailing people and we're working and, we're, and it's boring mm -hmm. and it's monotonous and it's a grind. And it is not sexy. It is not this incredibly amazing thing. For example, tomorrow, right. I'm going to email a lot of folks and try to tell them the story of Design Inc. and try to get press and try to increase demand and th that happens one person at a time. And uh -huh. there's nothing cool about that. I'm not having a big old party. I'm not jumping off the roof into a pool. I'm not doing a launch party, you know, whatever. Like the crap that people see in the, in the movies is just not how it is. It's just, it's a grind. There's no, there's, yeah. there's no way around it. Anyway, you got to put the time in. Do you think people that identify as entrepreneur or say, I want to be an entrepreneur, do you think that is, uh, there's something... Um, not authentic or something not genuine there? Do you think that, do you identify that as a problem? I always just think it feels a little funny when somebody sa says that, that, that what they want to be is an entrepreneur or something. Like people will say, and this isn't about me, but people will say that I am that way, but that's not what I want to be known as. Is, you know, that, I don't see how that's, uh, I always find that a little bit funny. I say, well, I want to make stuff. I want to make a podcast. I want to deal with people. I want to develop pro things, creative stuff, you know. It seems like it, it should be based in what you want to do more than I want to be a boss. And so, like, isn't it such a culturally attractive thing to say startups and entrepreneur? It is culturally very attractive. And I think what people are trying to say is they want to make, they want to be financially independent. And when you get into mm -hmm. the core, most folks, when you get them alone and you start talking to them about their family, about the people they love, the people they care about, it kind of comes into a place where they just want to have independence, mm -hmm. whether it's independence from, a job that they hate, whether it's independence from uh, being financially strapped, living paycheck to, paycheck to paycheck or overcoming debt. Saying I'm an entrepreneur is very easy. It's like almost this aspirational battle cry to say yeah. at some right. point I will be, you know, <laughs> I have my vision board. I, yes. I went to my retreat and I'm going to do it. Well, let me tell you, the, 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 the entrepreneurs out there, they are not listening to podcasts. 
they're not watching Gary Vaynerchuk on YouTube or, you know, folks yeah. don't know who that is. He's a well-known entrepreneurial person that people follow. They're not doing a Tony Robbins special. They're not going to Tony Robbins for five days and paying him $10,000 to tell them what's wrong with them. They are just doing, they're just working. Immer they're and, immersed in what their yeah. interests are is what I would like. What, what, what I would hope is that they're immersed in their interests. People who are doing things are not spending their time reading blogs. They're not spending their time reading self-help books. They're not going to Tony Robbins and trying to, you know, get, mm -hmm. have some, they're convinced in their own heart of what they want to do and they just do it. They create something because it's just inside of them. It's a natural extension of who they are. When you do it from a, from a true place, from your heart, you don't care what other people think. You really just don't. If they get it, cool. If they don't, no worries. If you find yourself on the other side of that, where you're painting a picture or you're doing some music or whatever, and you're putting it out there and you're getting offended, your ego's getting hurt because no one's accepting you, then mm -hmm. you need to have a real deep talk with yourself because your motivation is from ego. You're just looking yep. for the accolades. You're looking for the flattery to wash over you so you can feel better about yourself to fill some kind of hole that you have. My point is that like many people work from their ego and not from their heart. Mm -hmm. And working from your ego is a lot of what drives most folks, you know, uh, for me, for me too, I used to do design work or take on jobs because I thought it would kind of help boost my social capital or help me, you know, look better to peers. But, you know, as I've gotten older and done a lot more work, I've just realized that, you know, you really got to kind of pick the things, do the work that you want to do that's inside of you. And when you do it, it's really mm -hmm. freeing. Because you don't care what, what other people say. You really just don't. And, and I think if you find yourself getting offended because no one is seeing the genius of your work or no one is like really appreciating what you're doing, then you need to really kind of self-reflect and be more self-aware on why, why you're yeah. motivated to do these things. The money does come. I know that's cliche to say, and I'm sure that someone who doesn't have money who's working on their passion project, I know that's, like, that's, yeah. I know that's the worst thing to hear right now. What I want to say though, Mark, is isn't it kind of easy for you to say as a successful person, and I don't know that my audience knows everything about you, but having worked at YouTube and Google, Google Ventures and be, uh, doing startups and having multiple of them and being successful, I mean, it is kind of easy for you to say the money will come, right? No, I get, you know why I get to say that? Because when I was in college, I worked my ass off. I worked, you know, I did a full-time job paid my own way through college when uh, I worked for 10, 12 years, not making any money. I short sold a house in 2009, trying to build startups, went into hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. But I worked from, you know, seven in the morning till midnight till 2 AM, whatever time and time again, took the risk, put the time in. And yeah, after 15, 16, 17 years of doing this, I, I am going to say it because I feel like I've, I've kind of earned it. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it is easy for me to say, but I've also earned, I feel like I've earned the right to now looking back, I'm 40 years old. I've been working in tech in startups for 20 years. When I was in college in 96, 97, 98, 99, I worked at a startup. I put myself through school that way. You know, I got paid whatever, like 10 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour, just grinding things out. And I've tried and failed many, many times. And, it, and I can tell folks that it's not going to happen in a year. It's not going to happen in five years. It's not going to happen in 10 years. 15 years from now, it might happen. Mm -hmm. 
And it might never happen. When you get talking about the startup stuff, it's, it's, uh, and your startup is called Design Inc., which is really cool. But what is the difference in a startup and a regular business? There's no difference. If you want to do a regular business and you're just starting out, you're, start, you're a startup. Uh-huh. You are just beginning a new idea. You're convincing other people about, you know, that you're trying to hire. You have a, you have a product or a service you want to introduce to the world. The term startup just means you're a new business. Yeah. We might as well just call them new businesses. In the tech world, startup tends to have an extra meaning saying someone gave you some money. Mm-hmm. And like in our case, we raised some money to build our idea. And so we had this idea. I took it out to some investors. I said, what do you think? They said, we think that's pretty cool. Why don't you give it a shot? Here, here's some investment. Go, go for mm-hmm. it. But, you know, it, it is. You're just building a company. So it is weird to actually yeah. say, yeah, we're a startup. I mean, no, we're just building a company. It's whatever. What I was trying to say before is, you know, making a, starting a band or doing music, it, I always have thought of it as a company or startup, but never, I've always had this mentality that you got to do it and not use any money. You got to guess I didn't have any money, but I never thought raise money to do stuff, but it, it's just so much slower that way. Like you have to spend five years or 10 years and never pay anybody. And then eventually if it works, it works and doesn't work. And I'm starting to think as the, the kind of stuff I'm creating and building now, um, like uh, the organization that we run, we we do our own music. We release our own music. We do a podcast and a network of podcasts and do our own stuff. And we've always done it with almost no help or money or anything like that. And over time, we I've developed some people, people that start as volunteers and interns. And now we have a small staff of people that get paid. We have about 17 people that work in our whole organization wow. now that, that we run. And some of them are paid full-time a lot of part-time and some very little paid or just hourly here and there kind of thing. So we've always put it together that way. And I always think, well, the I guess the alternative approach, which you could take for a band or a record label or anything like that, instead of being totally DIY, I suppose I could sell 40% of the company and go get raise two or $300,000 and pay people some salaries, some aggressive salespeople and some other stuff. But it just always seems so scary, and you, you lose control, it feels like, when you do that. So I've always built everything really, really slowly where I have to do every part of the business myself until I understand it and then eventually maybe hand it off. And that's kind of counterintuitive to what I understand startups to be. You can't— But I see the power in the other You method. can't build anything alone. Yeah. You can't do anything alone. Really? You can't even—I can't think of anything you do alone. Even when I go surfing— I had to rely on someone to make me a surfboard and create the wax. I mean, there's some, there's some interconnectedness. It's really rare. I mean, I guess I breathe by myself. <laughs> but uh, this idea of giving up control, let's dive into that. Mm-hmm. You have already given up control. There's 17 people that rely on you, that rely on you day to day to help either pay their bills or... So in a sense, you are beholden to them. Mm-hmm. You're beholden to... There's always something that's going to be in control. And my, my feeling on raising money is, you know, 100% of something worth nothing is nothing. 10% of something worth, you know, a lot is much better than, five, you know, than 100% of nothing. Right. So, but it, it depends on what your motivations are. So I just mentioned earlier, I just got out of my board meeting today and there's two people on the board, me and my lead investor. And so, yeah, when you take money, I am accountable. I'm, you know, by law, I'm accountable. There's SEC filings. Like they're, 
there's no messing around here. I can't be fiduciarily irresponsible with the monies that we've raised. So there, there are actual, you know, guidelines and whatnot to the money that I raised, which is a little bit different than like, so a lot of folks will go get a loan from their parents or have an uncle or someone or a rich aunt that will give them some money. It's a little bit different. It's not regulated. Um, but money is just a, a way to, I don't know, for the most part, it's a, just a way to kind of make, to accelerate growth and accel- accelerate. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the word for yeah. it because I, you know, I identify as a very slow person. I've always done everything I've done very, very slowly, but and it's probably is a control problem. I, I'm starting to realize, but I like to. I want to do every little thing until I understand it. Then I don't want to do it anymore. And that's and, and that. But that takes years to develop something that way. But that's just the way I've, I've done it thus far. Like I really want to control every single thing from a musical arrangement to an online presence to figuring out how the website works. Every single thing about it, I want to be a hundred percent involved in it. But once I understand it, I definitely am looking to, you know, delegate and bring somebody else on. But it, it would feel so weird to me to raise money and hire big shots to do stuff. That always feels that that feels like I, I wouldn't be able to control that. Is, is way that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I don't think you want to hire big shots. I think you want to hire people that are smarter than you. Yeah, I like the sound of that. And trust, like Joel, you know, like our mutual friend Joel. He's the head of our design at Design Inc. And you know, he he knows what he needs to do, and he comes in and he does it. And I don't get involved in his crap. A CEO of a business only has three jobs: raise money set the direction and the vision and hire great people and just get the hell Mm -hmm. out of the way and just stay out of the way. Now, hiring great people is really hard and having a team that works together is really hard. And that's the only reason companies succeed or fail. It's not because of the idea. And by the way, and that's the only reason bands succeed or fail. It's the people. If the people can work together and they get along and they're in there have a kind of a common vision, they're going to do great. And you've seen this, mm-hmm. you've seen bands that have come on and they dissolve and they fall away. You never hear of them yeah. ever again. And you see startups that are like, Oh, that sounds kind of cool. And they start to emerge and then they just implode. The founders fight, they sue each other or the, you know, the, the lead singer yeah. and the guitarist get in a knife fight, whatever, you know, <laughs> knife fight, dude, yeah. we get, we have exactly. knife fights all, you know, we don't, we don't really, but I've seen <laughs> companies in the past where man, ugh, it's just toxic. Again, it all comes down to people. And even when you take investment, those folks are now part of your company. When we and I talk in my board meeting with my lead investor, he's, we talk about our company. It's our shared vision. It's what we want to do together. So I believe that if you have some, you want to make the world different in some way, it's okay to have someone come help you out. Now, it's, you have to be like adamant about what the strings are what the intention is folks gave mm-hmm. us money because they think we're going to turn it into more money and that's our and that's our goal you know that's our our hope and uh i don't know i think in some ways you have to you probably also have different goals for your podcast i don't know if it's a lifestyle thing meaning mm-hmm. you're able to put in minimal effort and get a lot of revenue out of it that allows you to play the music that you want to play and have spend time with your family and your loved ones uh I, or i don't know if you want to like be the next I don't know, Warner Brothers or Capitol Records. Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. For me, you know, my whole thing that motivates me is developing new stuff with motivated and creative people. Like I love being, doing a creative thing that I want to do. And I love working with other people and bringing them along, figuring out, matching people together and causing stuff to exist that doesn't currently exist. A podcast, a record, a song, a partnership. I love it. And so that's what, that's what I'm mainly about. I'm not, 
it's not really necessarily a money thing or want to have some big company necessarily, but that works, but we do it, we do it kind of slow, but I, I think about startups and that kind of stuff a lot. And, uh, so let's talk about, let's shift a little bit and talk about your startup that you're working on now, Design Inc., which is a really neat idea. If you've been in music and if you've been in anything kind of creative these days, you have to deal with graphic designers all mm-hmm. the time. And I've never had a great, <laughs> it's always been difficult. Like that's always been a point of pain, like to figure out what it is and what we're paying for and what should we pay for and how much does it matter? Yeah. That kind of thing's always been a struggle. I'm starting to get a little bit more yeah. clarity on it now, but we just had a fiasco recently where I hired somebody. Uh, let's get specific here. I hired somebody for a new podcast that somebody else paid me to develop for a brand. Okay. And, and so I used a designer that they knew because I was trying to make things go well or play, play nice with the people that they knew. And so I paid a designer that was stoked on the project, explained it to him. And then we had the, the launch of the uh, soft launch of the podcast. And the day of that soft launch with the graphics that we had chosen and, and done and everything, the other person involved sent me a text message. And it was a picture of our identical artwork on, from, on a oh, candle at the supermarket no down the street. <laughs> so it was, it was stock art that they had given us and done. <laughs> and it was the day we were supposed to put the thing out. And obviously, it was just devastating. You got had. You, know? you got had. Yeah. You got had. Yeah. And I, don't, I just don't, I can't believe that that would be. A th- and at first, I was like, well, maybe that's common. Does this happen? Is this right? I didn't even know the ethics of it or what. Is that okay or not? But um, specifically, we paid 1500 bucks for a logo here. That's what it was. Oh, and they gave man. us something that we found on Shutterstock.com or something. We went back and found it later. But. Where did you – so this is just a friend? It was a recommendation? It was a recommendation of somebody that had done some other work for somebody else I was trying to play. It wasn't somebody I knew or had dealt with before. But I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. So, um, you know, you can, design can be fast, good, and expensive. You get to pick two. You know, have you ever heard of that? No, I like that though. Fast, good, and expensive. You can get two of the three. So you're going to sacrifice somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You got to sacrifice somewhere. And so I, although I got to tell you, I think 1500 bucks for a logo is not terrible. Like that's, that's a healthy amount of money. I think it's a lot. I think it's it overpriced yeah. from where I, I've gotten a lot of logos for a couple hundred, few hundred bucks yeah. that I like yeah. in my day. I've done a, t- a million branded thing, a podcast, yeah, an album sure, sure. done a lot of stuff where we've gotten and maybe it's getting lucky and hustling and having it's different because people that want to work with a band they like will do it cheap. Totally. Like that's my experience. If I'm if you're Coca-Cola and you need a new website yeah. feel, uh, you're going to pay through the nose. I understand. So here so but we yeah. get stuff for cheap all the time. Mm-hmm. So to me $1500 for a logo sounds insane. <laughs> it sounds like a lot. It, it, well, it is a lot. <laughs> and it was clip art, I mean from some website. It is it is it is a lot. So great design is expensive. It's an investment. But here's mm-hmm. the Thing. bad design will probably could potentially make you bankrupt it could ruin your business it, the, yeah. the wrong brand because what happens is when people look at artwork or brand and they have this emotional connection that what happens is there's a perceived value not your actual value there's a perceived value in what you're offering just from the look just from the shapes and the colors and how things mm-hmm. and so automatically I can show you two websites. And if one is well-designed, you're going to internally trust it more. Mm-hmm. What the value is on that trust, I don't know. Is it worth five bucks? Is it worth a hundred? Who knows? Yeah, but that depends on if you're a lawn care business that does, you know, 80,000 annually or your Coca-Cola and it's worth 20 billion. And so you, you know. Well, let, well, let's go down to small business. Let's just go down to, yeah. to, to mom and pop. Let's go down to folks like you. Who have a who have a small business and they're trying to they want to look professional they want to look unique, 
And a good brand will do that. It'll be memorable. It'll be simple. It'll be actionable. It'll, it'll evoke the kind of like emotion that you want because a brand is more than just like a mark, right? So there's, there's, there's the logo, which can be just a word by itself. It can be a word and an icon like skull candy headphones are like a really interesting idea. Mm -hmm. The skull itself is probably more recognizable than the word skull candy. So they have this kind of combo thing going, Mm -hmm. but that, that mark, that skull candy logo is great. They did a, how much does it cost? How much is it worth? I think, I think it's worth at this point because of all the brand equity in skull candy is probably worth, uh, I don't know, 20 million, $30 million. But, but to get, to get something like that created, I think it's very reasonable to it, to assume that a designer can create a system like that for two to five grand. And what they, what they would do for you is they would, they would sit down. So let's say you have a new headphone company and you want to call it the Carters, right? We're doing the Carters headphone company. Mm -hmm. It's sick. You do podcasting. It's a natural extension. I love it. So if I'm high, so if you're hiring me, I ask you three things. I say, pick three adjectives of the emotional, the, the emotional reaction that you want people to have when they see the headphones. And I'm not, uh-huh. and I'm not going to let you wimp out here. You can't just say, oh, they got to look professional. No, right. I want like evocative kind of words. So for example, so if we're doing headphones for you, I, you I, maybe one of your words is audiophile. Like you think when people see these, these, these headphones, they think the high quality. Anyway, so we take you that exercise. Then we start developing your brand. And we ask you questions like, where are you going to use this? Well, look, I want it on the side of the headphones. I want it on the packaging. I want it in my podcast. I want it to be used as an, as a uh, advertisement in, in videos. Um, of course I need a logo for my business cards and my website, of course, but a real designer is going to take you through that journey and make sure that the mark is going to, you know, mm-hmm. actually cover all the needs that you need. What does it look like on social media as a small little icon? What does it look like? Cause that's what people use this stuff for. They need right. to do a Twitter icon. They need to kind of put it on Instagram, YouTube. So, so what we did at design Inc is we, we have this wonderful network of handpicked designers, hundreds, you know, thousands of them at this point, they're, they're some of the best in the world. They're, they're folks that are just hard to kind of, if you're not in the design world, it's hard to even know who these people are. Uh, you know, you're lucky you have a friend, Joel, you can be like, Joel, I need a designer and he can recommend someone to you. Now, you know me, just send me a text. I'll, I'll send you some folks. Yeah. Now I had, I had Joel hook me up with somebody before and then they quoted me like four or 5,000 and I said, now nah. I went back to somebody. Cheap. That's what's hard, right? Yeah, that's what's hard. And so, and so, uh, design Inc is, is that kind of an opportunity. If you want a logo mm-hmm. or something done, go to Design Inc., click on logos. We're going to pair you with incredible designers. I mean, these are guys who have made, mm-hmm. you know, they've made logo, like they've worked for Nike and Adidas. But the reality is, if you went to like a design agency, Matt, they're going to charge you $100,000 for a logo. Well, that's what I was going to say. 100000 is a number that I heard today. I watched right. some of you did a Facebook stream earlier today, and I heard you throwing out there. I don't know if you're being facetious or not. Oh. You said $100,000 for a logo, and I just I had so much trouble understanding if you are crazy or if that was a lie or you were making uh, up a big number. Is that real? Like The MasterCard the- logo. The MasterCard just redid their logo. You can Google it. Done by uh-huh. a guy named Michael Beirut, one of the best logo designers in the world, right? That uh-huh. I guarantee you that cost over a million dollars. But that's that's absurd though. Hold on though, but let's think about it. MasterCard is a global company. They have all sorts of use cases they have to deal with. What does a logo look like on a bank card on in Times Square? 
How are they going to change all the, all the marketing collateral? It's a huge company. There's MasterCard, all these sub-brands that it has to work for. Uh-huh. It has to work in all these different languages. You need to make sure that those two circles together aren't going to offend somebody in like Argentina. So there's actually quite a bit of market research that's done to make sure for that particular use case, that doesn't destroy and hurt the brand further. Yeah, because that one error there, and it turned out to be reminiscent of some war criminal somewhere in the history. And that, you know, if UV, someone screwed yeah. up your your logo and yeah. made it look like a Nazi version of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. you could be host. You could, yeah, it would ruin Mastercard. You yeah, know? it'd be a whole thing. But is that is that uh, like I don't understand how that comes down to like I, it still seems like some guy like a logo you can do it in three hours so what's the hourly rate like why an hourly rate on that like oh i'm good give me a thousand dollars an hour i'll be i'll have you something in in 90 minutes okay so let's say let's like take it further i don't even charge by the hour mm-hmm. i'm gonna charge you eight grand and i'll do your mark for you uh-huh eight thousand eight thousand dollars but how long will you spend on it that's my question how long will you spend on it doesn't it? matter i've worked 20 years okay to be able to do it for you as fast as i can do it for you for example let me give you two two use cases all right I just did a mark for a company in, uh, in LA in, and I did 103 logos, okay? I probably spent 200 hours on this project. And if I'm billing mm-hmm. out at 200 bucks an hour, uh, 200 times 200 is what? I don't know what the math is, 40 grand? 40 grand. I didn't pay them. Okay. By the way, I charged them five grand for this logo. I spent $40,000 worth of my time on this mark. And guess what? They hated it. They didn't do it. They didn't pay me. They owe me money, actually. And they say they don't like it. I'm like, guys, we did 103 versions of this thing. And round after round after round. But they weren't happy. And I said, look, if you're not happy, don't worry about it. Don't pay me. It's fine. I just did another logo recently for seven grand. And we, you know, logo number three, we hit it. Mm -hmm. And they love it. And they're stoked. And we took it further. Because a logo is not just about the mark. It's about the colors, the topography. What photographs do you want to use? What does it look like in usage? So a good logo person is going to extend that all out so that when you do have to go load your artwork up to iTunes, you actually have all the files. So you go to like some cheaper versions, like it's not even the same thing, like a five or nine. Yeah. Some guy's going to draw a mark for you or steal something they see on the internet and give you just that. Just give the Illustrator file. That sucks. How about think about how is this thing going to work, you know, for you, like the Carter headphone model. What is this going to look on packaging? Mock that up. Spend the time. So what would the packaging actually look like? And how does the mark interact with that? Mm-hmm. So when you start extrapolating all the use cases for someone's logo and brand, it turns out it does become quite a bit of work. And I would say I probably lose more often than gain. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably spend more time on it than I should. And uh, yeah. but, you, but you can't think about it hourly. You actually have to think about it more of like, how, how is this person going to help me solve my, my problem? Because... You have to realize when you, th- when I, all right, I'm going to do an experiment with you. Tell me what you think about. Okay. When I say the word Facebook, you just thought of the blue square and the damn white F. Yeah. You just did. Like, yeah, I did. When I say Coca-Cola, you think of the red and the white Coca-Cola. That's what you think about. Yeah. You can't help it. But you reduce it down and say, oh, somebody put an F on a blue square. How much does that person deserve to get paid? Like, you know, I would want to say, well, anybody could put an F on a square in their Photoshop, you know. (laughs) No, they just paid for your brain. Mm -hmm. Your brain is imprinted now with a blue square and an F. It could have been a blue square and a star or a dog's butt. It doesn't matter. The fact is you now associate Mm -hmm. something with that company. And actually, you think about that logo before you think about anything else. 
And what's funny is if you really want to get like kind of meta on it, the, the, the brand association we have with something now, when you think about Google, you now think trust, you believe it. You, you, you believe when you Google something and the results come up, you trust it. Yeah. If you, if you Google blue microphone, MP3, blue microphone podcasting, if the first link says blue microphone, before you click it, you believe that that is going to take you to a page that's going to be valid. It's not going to be spam. It's not going to be pornography. It's not going to be some hate crime site. So now if I take that Google mark and I put it on anything, you now will trust that thing. That is the power of that brand. Now, is the drawing important? No. Can anyone look at the Target logo for crying out loud? A circle and another circle? A A freaking monkey can make that, right? That's not the point. The point is that someone created a system uh, the red, the white, how it looks on the floor, how it, how it's used, when it should be used. Should it be used with the word target or not? That whole brand system is what a lot of logo designers are missing. And you can get that on designing. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. to do not just the skull on the headphones. Like anybody can get, pick out a skull or draw one. Or but whatever. how perfect. So like, let's go back to Carter headphones. Your logo has to work in a circle because the side of a headphone is a circle. It has to. Mm-hmm. And then like think, you know, so... If, if some crappy designer gives you like a wide horizontal logo, like, you know, Sarenhauser has this problem on all their headphones. The logo gets really... Oh, yeah. It's really long and skinny and it's a long word. Yeah. yeah it's a problem. Yeah. That's shit. That's terrible. They should rebrand and they should rebrand in a way that like it's hard to get good he- headphones now. Anyway, so I, I don't mean, no, I don't mean to rant so much about it, but there is a lot in there. So you think there's is logos that are worth a hundred grand and a million dollars. And it's more than a logo. I get that. But I'm just saying there is justification for that. But you wouldn't recommend spending that. I mean, what if you're a lawn care business or a band and you're just getting a new t shirt made or an album cover or something? I mean, how much should you spend? How should you how should you approach finding that for you? Your new blog. You're just a start you think I'm gonna make a blog. I hope I can do something with this. How should you approach that? Okay, so those are three different total use cases. So let's talk mm-hmm. about making your own blog. If you're making your own blog, I don't think it matters what your logo looks like at all. I think your name is way more important than any logo. Okay. I, I would type it out in Helvetica or type it out in Proxima Nova or Gotham or some other really nice to read font and call it a day. Okay. And, and when you start getting enough traffic. Then go invest the money in a night and, and brand yourself when you've actually become something. Okay. Then go ahead and brand it and spend the money and go spend five or six grand and meet with a designer, have them give you a moniker, have them take your first initial and your last initial and like blend them together in something cool and memorable. Maybe you like elephants. I don't know. An elephant should be your logo, but don't do it initially. You don't need to. It's a waste of time. Okay. Now let's talk about the lawn care company. Lawn care companies are really interesting because you're now competing with a, a segment of the population that doesn't pay taxes, that is cash only, that can just come and do work for you for 50 bucks. But if you are a business and you want to do a lawn care company that's like legit and you have vans and equipment, you could definitely make a huge impact locally. If there's a lawn company that I saw locally, professional logo, beautifully branded, the, the guys are like wearing uniforms, like I trust them, I'm going to pay a premium. No problem. Because their brand is communicating to me that they just look pro. They, 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 they cared enough mm-hmm. to spend money on what they look like. No problem. Bands are a whole nother level. Bands, I believe, I mean, unless you're like uh, Tyco and you're doing all your own art, 
I think I think bands have this unique thing with the gig posters and the old school world where the where the artists, the musicians did all their artwork on their album. I love that. I think I think that that's a very weird use case. And I think musicians can get away with murder. Yeah. They they could take a that's true. They can take a pig, chop it in chop it in half, take a picture of it, put flowers coming out of the, the corpse, and then have like you know, <laughs> and then have like a praying mantis come out with a pizza in their mouth. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's killer. Like done. Mm-hmm. So, you know, three different use cases. I'm sorry. to. No, no, that's good. Now it's super helpful for me because I just think about it. I just think, well, how do you value? I, I've been thinking about it wrong. Like how do you value the design itself? But it's really more about what you're trying to accomplish. But you wouldn't recommend, oh, I'm starting some new little company. You don't need to spend 10 grand or 50 grand on a logo. It's not going to pay off unless that's the scale of your business, you know. Depends on the company. If you're a startup and you just raise some money, you know, you just raise two, three, 400 grand, you better damn well. Oh, of course. Yeah, right. It should be proportional. Yeah, you should go spend some of that investment on the one thing. Remember, to our Facebook example, the one thing people are going to think about when they remember your name, there's probably a graphic. I haven't looked at your iTunes. I should probably look at it right now. Right now, there's a graphic, Matt, that people associate with you, yep. that your audience associates with you. Like, mm-hmm. So with Tim Ferriss, it's always Tim Ferriss's face and the word Tim Ferriss. Right. For Tony Robbins, it's always his face. So I think for podcasters and celebrity, it should be your face. It should be a combination of face. And for you, you got the, the, the backwards hat and the black shirt. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very memorable look, you know? And like, it's interesting to think about maybe that becoming the brand in some way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. I, I, I dig it. <laughs> Plus, I'm the law, I've already got my graphic design yeah. consult done and I'm doing a headphone company now. So oh, that's going to be yeah. huge. I'm, I'm doing just, Carter headphones. That's going to be big. I'm the first customer. <laughs> that, okay, that's good stuff and very helpful. So, But the interesting thing about Design Inc. is it's different. I'll tell you what, I don't have to do anything here. You're a startup guy, so you've got a 90-second elevator pitch of what your thing is. What is it? What's different about Design Inc.? I think I know the answer, but you, you'll say it better than I will. Design Inc. is the number one place to find handpicked world-class designers to help you design pretty much anything you can think of. Right now, we have logos and uh, something we call Design Critique. And we look, our mission in life is to make design very easy to understand and very easy to obtain. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all we want to do. And we, we, we know that when people work with really good designers, their kind of eyes go up. Many people have had your experience. They've kind of crappy designer, They've stolen artwork from somewhere. They're, they're a bunch of hacks. They're not any good. But when you start working with a really good designer, they change the way you think about design. They help you to understand that design is about increasing your revenue, increasing your audience. Design is not art. If you want to paint pictures and make people emotionally feel something, go paint a picture. That's not the purpose. Design is purpose is to solve a problem. Cool. So Design Inc. is up there to help you solve a problem. And right now, you know, you can actually go schedule one hour it's called Design Critique. Go on the site, schedule an hour with a designer and just share your idea with them. You know, it's like a hundred bucks. And if you have some silly idea or some app idea, let me tell you something, the designers on Design Inc., they've been there. They've shipped, they work for Facebook, Twitter, Google, all the, all the top folks. They're going to be able to mm-hmm. give you some insight very, very quickly on uh, how good or dumb or amazing your idea is. So you've been a designer for a long time, and we talked about Google and all these Silicon Valleys and the startups <laughs> and all this stuff, but you've been in this world for, for a while. You worked at Google, and which brings me to the thing that honestly was the, the reason I wanted to talk to you in the first place is you know something about, and I'm imagining we're a designer I worked, on something to do with self-driving cars at Google. Is that true? Yeah, so, so Google's kind of a really neat place where you get to work on a lot of neat technology. And if you have, 
if you have a desire to work on something inside of Google, you can kind of just like raise your hand and say, hey, it'd be cool to work on this. And so I had a friend working on the self-driving car and uh, I, and she, we were talking one night and I just kind of like pitched myself because I really wanted to kind of work on the project. And so uh-huh. I went and worked on it for a couple months, two to three months and, uh, and helped kind of think through, this was about in 2013. So it's funny because the self-driving car world is just blown up. You know, Uber has theirs now and every company has a self-driving car now. Like it's very common. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the time in 2013, it was really kind of only Google and there weren't, weren't really other many folks. And so, you know, I worked on problems. I worked on, helped kind of design some software. When you think about like, how do you actually interact with a self-driving car? Like, how do you tell it to come pick you up in the morning. And if you're driving in the car, like how do you tell it to like stop and get you a coffee or to go grocery shopping or cause you're going to do the normal stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And so you have to think about how you might interact with maybe a phone device or some other kind of device to like, cause you still got to control the car. Like you still got to tell it to go do stuff, you know? Like, and so you worked in the design of, of that part yeah. of, how, of the interface of the yeah. driver, of the uh, owner, operator, yeah. or, and the car itself. Yeah, I worked on some tools to help help the person who wants to tell the car to go somewhere, how to go somewhere. And so you can imagine, I mean, I don't even know, it's been a long time. I don't know how much I can talk about it, but basically, you know, people are very familiar with Uber nowadays. You know, you hit a button, mm-hmm. the car shows up and you get in. You can imagine a very similar kind of uh experience with a self-driving car hit a button self-driving car shows up you get in you hit another button and it takes you where you need to go you need to interrupt it maybe and go get some groceries maybe you do that maybe the car waits for you maybe it doesn't you know well are you qualified to help me think through then what is the future of self-driving cars or is it coming and when's it coming can we can we go is that is that territory you understand well like i mean i love to think about it and talk about it with people but people don't know that much about it you've been around it is this is this real is this going to happen soon oh there's no question yeah there all of our kids are not going to have cars okay let's start there my daughter's three no way will she ever drive a car and we live in seattle urban she will never drive a car okay she will never drive 10 years from now no question or you know 13 years from now (laughs) uh but no, what's funny is maybe even 10 years from now. What's funny is our kids will be going in cars by themselves like at age whenever they start going to school. Right, because they don't have to learn to drive. So if she's if this, if she's nine, she can go in the self-driving car, right? Self-driving car will be way safer than a human. So there goes school buses. Screw that. You don't need that. Uh-huh. You know, your daughter's going to get a self-driving car to school. It's going to take her and drop her right off. And the cars can run all the time. But that that doesn't make a ton of sense to me <laughs> for a couple of reasons. But And I'm so optimistic. I'm so into that. But that... You know, that timeline's very short, nine years from now or 10 years from now. Oh, it's there. The tech, the tech is there. The tech's there. The tech is there, but what about the, like, okay, uh, this is an example I've used that this drives me crazy, but we have a light. I live in Seattle. It's an urban center, so I'm so happy to live here. I'm so optimistic about our future, but let me tell you something that's going on in our city that I cannot understand. Uh, some people are talking about going to Mars right now. There's companies yeah. doing that. There's self-driving cars. We just got a light rail in Seattle for the last few years that they've been working on, and it goes from the airport to downtown. It's awesome. It's cool. I use it. I live 100 blocks north of downtown. They're developing the rail to get out here to, to where I am, and it the rail and the train tracks and the tunnel to get it here, it'll be here in four more years. <laughs> 100 blocks north of this of where it is now, 
and then I can use it. That's four years from now, and it doesn't go hardly anywhere in our city. It's just barely getting to where I am. And so progress with infrastructure and cities and roads and things that happens and technology of transportation seems, oh my gosh, so slow. So how could we get like something like self-driving cars mobile, even if the technology is there, what about the government? What about the regulations? They try to oppose Uber and Airbnb here in our city. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> how are they ever going to, how are we ever going to get there? You're certainly right. The regulations and the bureaucracy are going to be the biggest deterrent. Uh, the neat thing though about self-driving cars is there's such a demand, I think, for more people die in car accidents than, mm-hmm. any, you know, anything. I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk about there's been a lot of things in the news with police brutality and also in, in all the war on drugs and all these other terrible things. Way more people die in car accidents. It's like 30 or 40,000 a year, it's, right? Something it's like way, that. I America. think it's more than that, actually. Yeah. But yeah. What, what's, what's, what's interesting is, frankly, when you look at traffic will go away, right? Traffic only exists. Will it? Yeah. The traffic will go away? Totally. They've done tons of studies on this. Traffic happens because of us. We're not efficient with how we drive. Mm-hmm. We're like one, you know, one person per car. There's all sorts of interesting things that don't happen that should be happening when it comes to vehicles and pick, picking people up. And um, anyway, I, 10 years from now is a long time. Think about 10 years, you know, 20, 10 years ago, there, there were no, we didn't have this. We didn't have phones. We had, that's right. I don't, right. I think we had an iPhone. The first one didn't even have an app. Barely. Barely. Yeah. And think 10 years before. Think, I had a sidekick, the T-Mobile sidekick 10 years ago, and I thought it was crazy. Check this out. Think about from 1986 to 1996. Then think about from 1996 to 2006. Yeah. So much happens 10 uh-huh. years. And it's just getting faster and faster and faster. And so, you know, it's going to be inevitable. And definitely in your daughter's. And by the way, I think your daughter's also probably going to live to be about 200. Yeah, that's an, I had I talked about that on a podcast two weeks ago. I had somebody on that and discussed that exact. This is the kind of stuff I really like talking about. In fact, I'm going to do some more on this. Let me do something a little unorthodox here. Let me use the bathroom, and I would so I don't have to rush through this here. I, I really want to talk about this a little bit. I, let me see if you can answer a question while I'm gone. I'll go as fast as I can. Can you tell me? How does it work at Google to get into something like self-driving cars? Like, what do they? What does Google do? They just they want to be on the frontier of everything. And how you know how does that work for them? So I think the first question of how do you get into Google to work on projects like this? I think for something like a self-driving car, you have to realize Google when when they started working on this project, they hired incredible industrial designers, incredible computer scientists who were very good at this. My I, the piece I worked on is very very small. I'm just a designer. So I was just helping with this, the software and like how things might, might look or feel. But, um, you know, there were user researchers and all sorts of interesting folks. So I think the first thing is you want to go get a job at Google and then you want to go work on something like self-driving car. You got to be quite good at whatever particular discipline you want. So if you want to be a software engineer and you're really interested in self-driving cars, then, you know, go learn about lasers and radar and computer vision and machine learning and all sorts of interesting things that um, folks care about that make self-driving cars. Um, more broadly, if all these companies, you know, Facebook's doing this now too. They're all, they're all getting the footprint of what they build and they're, and they're pushing it out, right? So Facebook has the big plane that does the internet now and Google has all sorts of weird projects internally that are, you know, trying to think about the future of how we're how, the, how can you use technology to make our lives better? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there the, the, the really just comes down to 
as an individual, and I don't know how much of your audience are, are engineer or computer science or math kind of focused people, but you kind of got to go into that kind of realm of things and then really kind of gear your studies to line up with the kind of work that folks need. Now, mm-hmm. big data, machine learning, this kind of stuff, you're going to have a job all day long at Google if you want or SpaceX and help, you know, Elon <laughs> go to the, go to Mars. If you want, if you just, if you want to, you could do that. Yeah. Well, if you want to, if you know, but if I, that's encouraging. And I I believe that, but I think it's really hard for like, I think it's really hard for people in the middle of America and the rest of the country and growing up where they grew up in a small town like I did or in South, I don't think people think, oh, machine learning and artificial intelligence in the future. (laughs) I can get a job of that and do that. I don't think people think that's an option. And it is, I know it is. Why, why don't they think it's an option? It just, because you don't have any, because where we're from, we don't have any familiarity with it. We don't know anybody that does a startup. We don't know. I know it's possible. I believe that I've seen a lot of change in my life. I've moved, I've done things, but I can understand why that seems like some other thing. It seems so other and I, that you could be involved in stuff, something like AI or machine learning or self-driving cars. It sounds so foreign to everybody. It's, it sounds so foreign, but it's, that's what's so incredible about it is it's coming right now in a few years. There's a guy, I don't know where the link is. I'll have to send it to you. There's a guy by himself made a self-driving car in his garage. <laughs> like they're like, like people do this, right? Like, mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, one of my great grandfather's brothers or something like was a crazy man. He did holograms. He lived in the middle of BFE, Utah, Uh making holograms, you know, when taught himself how to do that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that geography is hard. It's really difficult. Where did you grow up, Mark? I grew up in Virginia. In what city? Vienna, Virginia, northern, right outside of D.C. And how did you get into the, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't love doing long biography stuff, but how did no. you get from that to West Coast, everything? I grew up playing lacrosse and football and I did wrestling and I never, I did, no one knew in high school or in junior high that I had a computer, but I had a computer. I had many computers. I had them all in the basement. I'd hide them all from my friends. <laughs> and I, you know, I love Dungeon and Dragons and I love taking apart computers and putting them back together and programming and all sorts of fun stuff. I didn't tell a soul. My girlfriend didn't know in high school that how much of a geek I really was. And, you know, and I just played like the jock card because I was kind of embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And growing up, to be frank, like being in computers wasn't cool no. at all. No, it was stupid. And even today, you know, it's like even kids who play Minecraft or, or into that kind of stuff get kind of ridiculed, I think, a lot of times. Like, you know, why are you doing that? But Minecraft is a beautiful, beautiful extension of the mind, being able to, to go out and create worlds. And, mm-hmm. and it's, I, think, I think it's everyone's God-given right to create. Yeah. That, that's why I do believe everyone is a designer. Being a designer is just your manifestation of your, of your power to create everyone has the power to create. So you think so with technology, we've empowered more people that are creative to create versus you have to be a blacksmith or a tradesman or f- fine art, the motor skills involved in playing the cello is, you know, it takes 20 about, years yeah. to do that. But with computers and technology now, somebody that has the, just the impulse and the desire to create something in an assisted way my, can make something truly creative and unique. Yeah. No, look, my, my dad, uh, you know, growing up the way he made money is he owned a gas station. So I'd go work at the gas station. That's how I, you know, got a couple nickels to rub together. And if I wanted to learn how to do an oil change or fix a 
thing or look up whatever air filter went on this car. We had this huge freaking book. I'd have to open it up and go through and read it. I'd have to ask one of the guys there how to do things. Mm-hmm. I'd have to, you know, learn how to change a, a fan belt or whatever it might be. Now, just look it up on YouTube, man, yeah. and just figure it out. That's right. You you want to learn how to play the drums? Figure it out. You want to learn how to design some product yeah. or some logo? Just go online and figure it out. It doesn't matter if you live in California or Virginia yep. or Kentucky. That's true. Like, there's no excuse. There are just no excuses. For younger, we'll see, but that's what's interesting is the generational difference. Because when I grew up, there wasn't, even to learn guitar was hard where I grew up. I didn't know anybody that played guitar. I mean, I know that's insane, but that's true for me. I knew almost nobody that even played guitar and could show me how to do a D chord. Then I found a book. Then I got a magazine that had tab in it, whatever it is. That's not so, the way it is now. And so we have this whole wave of people who are not mature yet. Millennials and, and my daughter's generation, whatever that's going to be, they're not mature yet, but they are going to, yeah, for them, it, it doesn't, you're probably right. It doesn't matter where you are. You, you know, inherently at a young age that you can do work in any sector. You can do anything that you're interested in. But when you and I grew up, if you, like you said, 96, 97, graduating high school, being in college, mm-hmm. you, that wasn't the case so much. What's interesting is I, I actually have a theory that we, because we had to work so hard to find information, mm-hmm. To, to do the things we wanted to do. Um, I think we actually use the internet in a, in a much better way than the, than the newer generation. Like I watch my daughter, my, 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 my kids are just lazy on the web. Like if they can't find something, they just kind of give up on it. Whereas like I'm, I hunt because I had to learn how to use AOL mm-hmm. and all the crappy stuff back in the day. And I had to learn how to search through tons and tons of web pages to get what I wanted. And I feel like the newer generation is a bit just kind of like, if they can't pick it up really fast, like they kind of just drop it, you know? And I don't know, maybe the, I don't want to be too old man on this, but there's, there's a great book called Mindset that kind of says folks are kind of divided into two, two camps. Uh, there's, the, there's a growth mindset, and I forget the name of the other one, but it's basically the idea is, is you get one, one kid, they get on the balance beam and they fall off. And they're like, you know what? I don't have good balance. I'm not a gymnast. Uh, and then, and then you get someone with a growth mindset, they get on, they fall off, they get on, they fall off again. They keep doing that because they believe that they can grow into that skill. Mm-hmm. And my kids are this way. My oldest daughter, she's like, I'm not good at math. And so she doesn't even try. She's very good at English. And so she puts all her eggs in, in the English basket. Second kid down thinks she can do anything, even though she can't. And mm-hmm. she will try and try and try again and, and tends to really try to focus her efforts. So I guess what I'm saying is, a lot of folks have one of these two mindsets and some folks will pick up a computer and they'll try to program or they'll pick up a, a, a pen or a pencil and they'll try to draw and they can't and they give up. And my, and my hope would be that folks would shift their thinking to believe that the more of a growth mindset, because people can learn to draw people can. Now I also believe you should find what your strength is and focus on it. I think one hour of your strength focus on what you're strong at is much better than one hour of your weaknesses. I don't really think you should, if you're weak at something, you're, it's, it's probably, you're, you know, don't worry about it. You're probably strong at some other mm-hmm. things. Go spend some time there. So, um, you know, when it comes down to, to like how, cause at the heart of your question, you're saying how do folks in the Midwest or in other places that don't have these opportunities or this exposure to, to even thinking about being an engineer at Google, how do they get the exposure? How do they get the motivation? How do they get the support that they need? Mm-hmm. 
And, and, you know, the reality is it's like folks like you having podcasts like this and reaching out on a, on a broader level. And, uh, it's, it's a very, it's a very hard thing to know that there are, yeah to believe actually that you can leave. Yeah. I don't know, North Dakota and go lead, and go lead all the engineering for the Google self-driving car. But of course you can. Like, why wouldn't <laughs> you be able to do that? Like, well, like, it's, kind of, it's kind of a, uh, what do you call it? A meritocracy or something in, today better than it's ever been or in human history probably because it's less about college. It's less about anything. It's just more about you focus on it and you, you can get there kind of thing. So I think that's opening up more and more, which now, is kind of exciting, you know. So, so now let me, I will play devil's advocate for a second because, you know, there's someone listening right now. It's like, dude, whatever, man, you grew up in Northern Virginia. You just met the right people. You just got lucky. Screw you. Uh Like screw that guy, whatever. Right. Like, do you agree? There's someone listening right now. probably thinking that for sure. And so what I would tell you to whoever you are listening and thinking that right now is like, I, all I can tell you is when you ask my wife or you ask my kids, like, I've cut, I have been jobless. I have cut steel. I've worked odd jobs. I've done whatever it's taken to like figure out my life and to work in the internet business or to do design or whatever it might be. I have always, I'm an accidental, this is all accidental. The only reason I did design and logos is because I found out 16 years ago, someone would pay me 500 bucks for it. And with that 500 bucks, I can pay for my daughter and give her food. That's why I do what I do. It's still why I do what I do. It's like, I'm building this company. So I hope that at some point there's an exit so that I can be financially independent and that I can invest in my kids, invest in other startups and other entrepreneurs. That's what I ultimately want to do. But all of this has always been driven Mm -hmm. out of necessity. And so my feeling is when I meet folks who are like lacking motivation, who are lacking some sense of purpose, then get down to business and figure out what really motivates you. For mm-hmm. me, it was taking care of my family and my kids. I mean, I guess I was lucky. I got married in 1998. But I got, so I got many married people, in college. Yeah, but I mean, what I encounter all the time is people that are saying, and they're, they're, they're selling themselves short, and I dislike this mindset, and it's not mine. But people would say, well, you're lucky. But I meet people, I'm dealing with people all the time. They say, yeah, but I got a wife and kids, so I can't take a chance. And I'm thinking, huh. you, well, you, then you got to or something. Like they say, you well, I, I have to, I have to, I've got to feed my family. I can't afford to give up this $40,000 a year job with benefits. I have to feed my family and say, hold on a second. You're not going to starve, right? You're not about to starve. That isn't going to happen. If you lose your benefits, it, you're not going to be turned away from the hospital. Like to me, those things sound like excuses. And I understand, oh, easy for you to say. It is so, it is so, I've been there, man. I've been in debt. I've had that pressure. I've been at a job I don't like. I totally under, like I understand it more than anybody knows. Okay. There are 24 hours in a day. Give eight hours to that crappy ass job that you hate. Mm -hmm. Give eight hours to rest. So you sleep well. You have another eight hours to do things with carve an hour or two out for your family or your wife. Because frankly, if you can spend an hour or two with your family, you're doing better than 99.9% of the world, all Mm -hmm. right? Then use the other six or seven hours to actually build something else. Turn off the TV, stop watching Game of Thrones and Vikings and all this other bullshit. Stop like, get get the hell off Facebook. Turn turn all the notifications off on your phone. Mm -hmm. Turn off all the texts. Tell all your friends and your family, like, 
I am working on my, on my thing, whatever that is, do it and do it for five months. Like just doing keto, like, like I'm going to do ketosis for two months and <laughs> yeah, just pay off. Yeah, well. But make the decision, like don't make the decision every single day, sit down with some time and say, and write it down. Say for the next three months from seven o'clock till midnight for, or to one in the morning, I am doing this and tell your friends and cancel your, cancel the midnight, cancel the wing night with the fellas, cancel the movies. The new movie comes out on Friday. You don't go. You go to your little lame desk in your bedroom mm-hmm. and you work on your idea. And if you don't do it, then you don't want it. Right. And you don't care that, about that's it. That's what it's really about is, that, you know, your actions will say what it is that you care about or if you believe in your, all, all those things. So I agree, but I encounter that a lot. And, and yeah, I do understand people's fear to try something. And I'm not telling people quit their jobs and go do a thing. I mean, do your passion because so many people want to do, and music is terrible. It's like, I, I want to do music. It's going to be my career. And they're not good. They're not, it's not, you know, I'm very torn. I never want to encourage people to like follow their dream when they're not good at it. And it's probably not going to work out. And it's just like, but it's, it's the, there's a difference in it being somebody's dream or their self-proclaimed passion and being a realistic thing, which is hard because, you know, you don't want to tell everybody to quit their job out there, do you? I would, no, I don't. But I tell you what, I would be, I would rather be miserable doing something that I think I would like to do. I'd rather be miserable doing my own startup than being miserable working yeah. for somebody else. You know, at least I can just blame myself now. Like I don't have to blame anybody else. Mm-hmm. But um, happiness is a very weird thing, by the way. Like, like, like I'm not happy a lot of the times doing a startup. I am a lot of other emotions. I am pensive. I'm thoughtful. I'm stressed. I'm upset. Uh, I'm discouraged. You know, happiness is a weird word, man. Sure. And, and, and they've done studies. Like, there's a guy who's in prison for, like, his whole life. He gets out of prison when he's, like, 95. And they're like, how do you feel? He's like, it's like, I'm just really grateful to be alive. I'm grateful that. But, he's like, you were just in prison your whole life. How can you possibly be happy? And, and that word is, is when you take the word live your passion so that you can be happy, that gets all weird and like yeah. Instagram quotey. And, and the reality is happiness for me only comes after. It only comes after you've done something hard. You've sacrificed something or you've done something a little bit extra. That happiness comes and it's only a little moment. And like, oh, that was pretty cool. We worked really hard. It, like the podcast was, the, the effort was hard, but maybe at like episode 100, you're like, huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Podcasting is the best example of that because most people start it and then they stop and they give up and they quit. And I always tell people, you're not going to be good at it when you start. Episode 100, let's talk about that. Yeah. Like how good yeah. will you be at episode 100? Yeah. You'll be so yeah. much better and you'll probably have a clearer picture of how good you want to be at episode 200 by the time oh, you yeah. get to 100, trust me. But that's so awesome about today and technology. Podcasting is a great example. Yeah, you can start tomorrow. It doesn't even cost you anything. It's amazing what you can do. (laughs) In my dad's generation, to start a business was such a huge deal. You can start a business now. I mean, the technology is uh, is so exciting. But I do fear for is it really is it is it really going to be as great as it's cracked up to be? Are we in trouble with technology, or is it going to hurt us? Uh, Do Do you know Kevin Kelly? Is he somebody you actually know? I don't. I don't know him. Um, I heard him recently talking online about stuff. He's a. uh, Do you know who he is? 
He's a star, he's a uh, technologist and stuff. He, he was on Tim Ferriss show, I think, is what I heard, or Freakonomics or something. But he was talking about the that the future is not as scary as some people think it's going to be, and that's a big oh. divide. Is some people are afraid. Well, yeah, but you're going to get the AI and you're going to get this, and the technology is going to no, ruin everybody. Hey. But you seem to no. be a total optimist in that. You you don't have any oh, concerns yeah. about where technology is going, dude. Here's the thing, like like the ability to extend the age of people, the ability to like figure out how to grow food in a better way. I, I have crazy views. I don't think we're ever going to have, I think we're all going to be one giant country. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have one monetary element that we use. Everyone's going to be on the same, you know, money. There are no countries. It's one giant country. The whole world is a giant. So there's no more war. We're working together because the, the idea of like having borders, having all these different things is kind of asinine, really, when you think about it. Like go five, like go 500 years from now and yeah. think about what would be neat as a society. And it's like we're living to three, 400 years old. We have, uh, yeah, but every school shooter could have, but could program a nuclear weapon, you know, in that, <laughs> right? It, one nut, one nuthead with a biological w- weaponry on their laptop, though. In 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 fifty years from now, yeah. you know, is that not what's going on? But for every nuthead that can do that, there's there's ten other nutheads who figured out a way to to prevent that or have tech to kind of to protect those things. Like, mm-hmm. what's interesting is is if you look at like the 1800s, there was only like nine hundred thousand. No, that's not right. Like only 900 million people on the earth. Now we're up to like 7 billion, uh-huh. 8 billion. And it's just getting faster and faster and faster. Technology is really the, kind of the only thing that's going to help us continue to have our population at the size that it is and live and work together and play together in a way that's safe, to be honest. Like, I, I don't know what the answer is to like, how do you prevent school shootings or how do you prevent the, the, you know, the violence that we see every day? Um, you know, my son asked me all the time, he's like, dad, if God exists, why are so many people dying? Like, what is going on with that? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's hard to give him a good answer around that. But I do think that technology can figure out a way, like, what if there were, what if there's a ban on all guns, all missiles, all guns, and we found another way to subdue people peacefully? What if we found, we, the technology has to answer those things. That's right. the burden of technology. What if there's a way to figure out, like, you know, you talk about the school shootings and whatnot. Well, what if there was a way that you didn't have to go to school and like waste half your day with BS? Like my uh-huh. daughter in high school, I have a sophomore, a daughter's sophomore in high school. I was doing the math with her. She, she, she spends an hour and a half each day just walking to class. What a waste of time. Like she probably wastes like two to three hours a day at school learning bullshit that she doesn't need to learn. Oh, yeah, for sure. She, she, she loves to write. And techno- but technology is what needs to uncover these things. Yeah to help educate the stakeholders, the people who make these kind of decisions. But look at voting. Mm-hmm. Why the hell are we doing the, the old school way of voting? Oh, that's insane, yeah. Why can't I vote with my phone and why does it know it's me? And why can't we have a true vote based on what the population yeah. thinks? Well, it, you know, that one's real weird because people, you know, I've heard people say, oh, because you could defraud it. People, it'd be all the, you know, there's easy, you could cheat that and stuff like that. I'm thinking, well, I mean, you do banking on your phone. So it has to be possible, you know, to do, if you can do banking securely, then voting surely could be done, right? Dude, a, <laughs> and then, and then like truly made, if that was a way that if we could all just vote like this, everyone would vote. Like there'd be no problems. We're so like lazy, right? Like we, but we'd also vote a $200 an hour minimum wage if we could do that too. If everybody got to be, <laughs> well, okay. So maybe this is a way out of it. Maybe the crazy people that want to 
the mentally ill people that want to program viruses or nuclear weapons, if we had that tech, maybe we're going to aggressively, technologically make advances in mental illness and how to treat that and recognize it. How about that? I mean, maybe that's the solution to it more than than the weaponry. How do you solve schizophrenia? How do you solve uh, you know, Alzheimer's? Yeah. And that's it's really simple. It's just a matter of going into the, the DNA and just making some tweaks. The only reason you age it's because your your DNA just starts breaking, you know, their genetics just start making breaking down. Mm-hmm. But you can figure out how to assemble that crap back together. Which is like like it shouldn't be that hard to live a long life. And there's companies working on these oh, things. There, it's there crazy. Is for sure. So we didn't yeah. get to talk still about self-driving cars as much as I wanted to, which I kind of regret. <laughs> but we can do that again or another time or something like that. But from your point of view, self-driving cars, that is happening, right? Like that's happening. You really believe, can you say it as concise as you can when and how that's going to work? Yeah, the way it's going to work is similar to the way people have horses now. Rich people have horses because they like to collect them, even though we used to ride horses all the time. Then the car came around and the car was built in a way that was affordable for everybody. And next thing you know, everyone's driving cars and only the rich people had, had the, the horses. Self-driving cars, the same thing. It will, be, it will be at a price point that anyone can use. Cars as ownership, as necessities will go away for all of society. And the people that will have and own cars will probably be the rich. And they'll use them for collection and they'll drive them around occasionally. It'll be very uncommon. And, and, you'll, find, and you'll, you'll finally be in a place where if you need a, a commuter car to go to work or if you need a truck or cars, vehicles will... will develop into a way that they are actually built for as they are intended. Because today, when you look at, when you go buy a car, they are all these hybrids. They're kind of a minivan. They're kind of a truck. They're kind of a commuter car. Yeah. Because car manufacturers are trying to appeal to families and folks who can only buy one vehicle to do one thing. That won't happen in a self-driving car world. There will be beautiful cars. There'll be workhorse trucks. There'll be whatever you need. You need a car to come by because you need to dump a bunch of crap from your backyard. Killer. When you go to order your And you'll stuff. be paying per use, basically, sure. on everything. Yeah, or maybe you pay 40 bucks a month. Or mm-hmm. heck, maybe it's regulated and it becomes something like power, uh, power and gas companies, and it just becomes a part of the, of the grid utility. and part of a necessity. Yeah, it just becomes a utility. Do you think it, it eliminates traffic and reduces or eliminates the need for mass transit too? Both? You think it is the solution or is it just a temporary place we're going? No, I I think, so what's interesting about mass transit for me is the ability to like, there's there's something kind of neat about taking a train ride. I mean, yeah, maybe it does. Actually, it probably does eliminate mass transit. The only thing that mass transit gets you is the speed Right, so if you get a, if you can get on a train and go like the Hyperloop will still exist. Oh yeah, if they go the real fast. Yeah, yeah, so so I think with when Hyperloop emerges, that'll probably kill mass transit. But I I've always believed that mass mass transit. Many of the projects tend to be just these like boondoggles for like government spending. I, and, I heard and I, and this, I don't know why I'm on this so much, but I just was listening to the radio here in Seattle, and there was a guy talking about self driving cars, and they had a dissenting opinion lady on there, and she was saying that it would be bad for the environment that it would, mass transit is a solution and we, there's still better and greener and better ways. And I just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like she was, it, it was really frustrating because it, it was like a very non-practical and, and, and she was all about the regulation and the government regulation and how the government needs to solve the problems. And it was really starting to frustrate me when I was thinking about it. <laughs> you know, I just don't like it, it. It's the thing where we stand in the way of, of the progress of Uber or the self-driving car and stuff like that. That is something I feel like is, is really a big, is a really big enemy is people that just 
are going to resist change and the free market solving the problem. You know, that's I, I'm afraid of that. I think podcast listening will probably go down actually because you're going to be in a car. You can work now. You can ca- you recapture that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, that's true. You know, podcasting works really well now because everyone's driving and they don't have anything else to do. I would, I, I wonder how many people podcast and drive. I would say most of the audience does that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like the commuter, the commuter time. So, you know, um, yeah, the other, the other neat thing about self-driving cars that's really important is the, is the, the lives that will be saved. Thousands and tens of thousands of lives. No more drunk driving. Mm-hmm. You know, when people drive drunk, it's stupid. Like, this is a dumb thing. Um, and you know, like down, down here in Cal- Southern California where I live there, Uber doesn't have a very big footprint down here. And it's uh-huh. kind of a pain. You order an Uber, it takes a while. It takes, it's not very practical. So, you know, for me, I, I don't know. It's like the safety issue is really compelling to me is like saving people's lives. That's a big deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. I guess when you said that, I think too, of the commuting, like if you're commute, I know people that commute from Tacoma to Seattle, it's an hour 90 wow. minutes sometimes and it's just it sounds like the dumbest idea in the world but if you could be <laughs> if you could be working the whole time yeah right that changes that. that it could make commuting like less of a deal like you could move farther yeah. out it could spread out cities and it could, it could solve a lot of problems i think one 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 contrarian opinion is the as a parent you end up driving your kids a lot uh-huh. and frankly it's actually the only time i get to spend with my kids is when i'm driving Going them to soccer to... practice yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, so it's kind of a sad thing to say, but I do. I can see a world where self-driving cars in, tends to alienate people because it reduces the need for communal travel, uh, and and I think that's kind of a problem, unfortunately. But maybe it makes more time. If there were self-driving cars today, dude, I would get them all the time to take my kids to dance, to school. To yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I hate, I hate it, man. I hate driving them, but. My wife tells me, she's like, dude, that's the only time you have to like talk to them. Yeah. Like, so use that time. It's a captive audience. They can't do anything. Oh, and by the way, we haven't even begun to see, like, I want the data on how many people are dying from texting. You drive around. No one's, yeah, we don't have a good data on that yet. No one's looking at the damn road. Mm-hmm. And so, okay. So you take the drunk driving, you take the texting, you take all that other crap into consideration. And like the sooner we get self-driving cars, the better. Cause they're, you know there's people that are dying and that's not cool. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting. I, I'm very, I'm optimistic about it. I'm skeptical of a lot of things. And I'm cynical naturally, but for technology solving problems and people not getting in the way of it and just opening your mind a little bit, I just couldn't think it's more important. And I'm, I'm really inspired by the younger generations. I, I, you know, I feel like people my age and older sometimes are the problem as far as not being open-minded to stuff. And I'm encouraged by the people that are five and 10 years younger than me. It really is. I really am optimistic about it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of the biggest challenges we were talking earlier about the Midwest and pockets of the, of the country where it's harder to get into tech or whatnot. I'd say the biggest barrier for a lot of that tech really is the cost of internet. People are still spending 60 bucks, a hundred bucks to connect to the internet. That should be free. That in my opinion should be like, who should pay for it? I mean, how is it free? All I know is I'm paying a lot of money in taxes. Uh-huh. Some of that money should be diverted uh-huh. to help pay for that other kind of stuff. Because if if I can power my house, if I pay more for the internet than I am paying for like my gas bill, wow, I think there's yeah, a, that's a good point. You know? Yeah, because I mean, your electricity sometimes isn't even that bad. Your internet bill would be more bad. than your utility or something. Yeah. And you get companies like AT and T where I'm paying right now. 
you know, I think I'm paying like $220 a month. All the data you're using. Yeah. But there's no way it's costing them that much money. There's no, no. way. They've built more and more infrastructure and they're getting subsidies from different folks. I mean, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but connectivity, it's like back, like whoever holds the power to the information and access to that information is really, you know, that's the biggest problem for folks. It's like when you go to Harvard, and you go to some kind of fancy school, Stanford, even if you get into Google, it isn't the education you're getting there. It's the network. You get a job at Google, you can even be a clown for six months. Yeah. Just go in there and network and meet a bunch of folks who are going to be doing great things and become their best friend. You're good. You're good for life. You're going to have enough jobs for life. You go to Harvard, you don't even have to graduate. Spend a year networking, meeting folks. You're good. Like you're going to have every connection you need the rest of your life. And I know that I don't think that's now to get into Harvard, to get into Stanford is tough, right? You got to work hard. You got to work hard in school. You got to get good grades. Uh, you know, you got to like really figure that out to get a job at Google is tough. You know, it's not easy. Like you, you know, I interviewed hundreds of people. I interviewed hundreds of designers and said no to many. They just weren't, they weren't good enough. They didn't do enough work. They just, they just weren't good enough. So I don't know, man, it's kind of an interesting I know I'm kind of going all over the place right now, but I, I'm really kind of going to stay up at night thinking about how might we encourage the guy living in North, the girl mm-hmm. right now listening to this who's living in North Dakota, right. who, who wants to do nothing more than to like figure out how to go to Mars and work for and get into. <laughs> That's a whole nother one going to Mars. I love Elon it. Musk. No, you're right. And, and we, we can close it there, but that's the really interesting thing is to just really consider the dichotomy of, of being able to have so much at your fingertips. And there's so many people that still have so much working against them. And, and is, is our future really, is it just going to unfold the way it is or are the decisions we make really going to matter? Like, you know, is it determined how well it's going to go because technology is going to solve it? Or is it up to us to make sure that it goes well? It's, it's really interesting. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll leave, I'll leave on this note. If you don't like the way the world exists, then you need to change it. I got in a huge argument with a friend today. He's like, I'm not going to vote. And I'm like, then you can't complain. And he's like, that's bull crap. I hear that all the time. And I'm like, no, dude, you, if you don't vote, you can't complain. He's like, it doesn't matter if I vote in the presidential campaign. I'm like, fine, it may not matter. But guess what? When my wife goes down and talks to the school district because the school district isn't doing something right, or we have a sheriff who's a clown, or we have a city councilman who doesn't work... Over 500,000, there's over 500,000 local municipalities and state, state like things that are won by less than a thousand votes. Yeah. And so just to use that as a metaphor, people have way more impact than they believe. Yeah. And, and I guarantee you, if someone really wants to do something, you know, I don't, I don't, I think people underestimate when, when, when someone, when they hear someone like Matt Carter say, well, if you want it hard enough, you can get it they are underestimating what that means. They are underestimating. It's not, it's not one year of working, you know, eight hours a night. So what's eight, what's eight hours times 300 days, right? That's 1,500 hours. No, 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 no. It is 7,000 hours. It is a, it is so much effort. It'll make your eyes bleed. Like that is what it takes. It takes like patience and persistence and it takes guts and it takes grit to, to, to change the world around you in the way that you want. That's it, man. That's all there is to it. I, and for me, I couldn't do it by myself. I have three beautiful kids that I, that I look at and I'm like, 
how the hell am I going to make the world better? How am I going to, how am I going to earn the right to call myself their father or like earn the right to like, and so I, I kind of just kill myself. You know, I just try to like, try, try it again. And we're not, we're not like financially, we didn't kill it. You know, we made enough money to buy a home for ourselves, which I'm very, very grateful for. And, and, and we made enough to, you know, put a little bit away, but I'm still working and I'm going to be working until I'm an old man. And, uh, and gladly so, yep. but my motivation is my family. I think everyone's got to find that thing that pushes them way beyond what they think they can do. And when half the time I'm writing emails, like I can barely look, I'm like, my eyes are like burning and I'm all I want to do is go to bed. But I push that extra hour, push that extra two hours. And now look, I, there's a lot of people that work a lot harder than me, man. I, you know, so the point being that I think people underestimate that what their influence is. And if it's three kids, or eight people you work with, or your 20 best friends. I mean, that that's there's a multiplying effect there. And if you learn something or put yourself to a new skill or, or goal and just put five years behind it, the, the impact of that times the people that you influence, is, it really does add up. I really do believe you can impact, uh, I believe that, with the stuff that I want to do. Whatever it is, I do believe it has impact and changes the world. Even if it's starting with my you know wife and daughter, it's good enough. That's something, but I believe it's more than that when... 10 people listen to your podcast or, or 100, whatever it is. So I believe that. There's going to be someone tonight listening to this that that tomorrow they're going to wake up and they're going to do something a little bit different. They're going Hell to yeah. start that. They're going to start that podcast. They're going to write that first blog post. And something, mm-hmm. there's going to be something said here tonight that motivated someone to get off their ass and actually do something about it. Well, I hope so. And I hope definitely, right? I mean, I, I, I hope so too. And maybe it's just to write me an email and say, you're a clown, like, <laughs> which is fine too, man. I love it. Um, so anyway, I, and by the way, I'm always willing to help anybody. Like any, I've never, anyone who emails me, I've always given an answer. I don't care who you are, where you're from. But I don't come. make that same promise, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I get a lot of emails I do not write back to. I get too many messages. I try I mean, to, I, but yeah. I may not write a lot, mm-hmm. right? I may write, say thank you or whatever, but um, I definitely try to. And uh, and it's been neat over the years. Sometimes you get a note back. It's been five years and someone's like, hey, back in the day, you said I should go for this thing. And, and by the way, I did. And look what happened. I'm like, whoa, That's awesome. I don't even remember. I don't remember talking about that. Like, I'm like, good. I'm glad it wasn't bad advice. Well, well, Mark, good luck to you with Design Inc. I think it's great. I love it. I'm looking forward to getting the uh, the mock-ups and the packaging for Carter headphones. I think it's going to be a huge hit. Dude, so oh, let yeah, me let me know when those are when that's done. Yeah, yeah, be on your desk in the morning. In the morning. <laughs> but I consider myself lucky to have had the time to talk to you. I have all the, all the stuff that you do to to feed my brain and let me talk back to you and and think out loud for for an hour and a half. Here has been very. Uh, interesting, and it's what I love to do, and I really appreciate the time you've given me and, and our audience. I think they'll uh, get a, lo- a lot out of it. Awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Very cool to meet you, and so it's so fun to talk outside of the tech bubble that I've been in for so long. Good. So I loved your questions, and it was really, it was just cool, man. Thank you. Very good. All right, thanks. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, 
All that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor. And every week, I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.